Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Anna Jones. I'm a food writer, and my latest book, One Pot Pan Planet, is a collection of recipes and a greener way to cook for your family. When you started writing this cookbook in late 2018, the world was a different place. But now we are at a turning point in 2022. Talk a bit about how you and your cookbooks have shifted over the years and what has changed. Well, I think lots and lots of things have changed. I think, first of all, the the kind of food landscape has completely changed since I first started writing my cookbooks 10 years ago or so. You know, the words kind of vegetarian or vegan or plant-based were, you know, ha- had had very different connotations. And my first book came out and, and it was all vegetarian food. I felt like I had some kind of persuading to do to, you know, engage people and convince people that actually eating in this way is joyful and, 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 and vibrant and, you know, not the kind of mung bean casseroles that they might have um, have imagined. So I think that's one thing. But obviously, the last two years have really shifted things around food. And, you know, this, this book one, it had to change because I'd written most of it pre-2019. And when I was home in lockdown and we were cooking in a different way, it sort of pulled focus on the importance of food, on the importance of producers, on the importance of, I guess, the supply chain. You know, that moment where we couldn't get a bag of flour and, and and everyone was running around trying to get their hands on eggs. I think it really changed stuff for me in the kitchen and made me realise even more the importance of recipes being flexible. And I really want my books to be a kind of blueprint, a, a springboard, a, a source of ideas for people. But also once someone cooks a recipe in their own kitchen, I want it to be their own. I want them to have the confidence to, you know, switch up fresh tomatoes for canned tomatoes or, you know, preserve lemons for a, a squeeze of lemon and some lemon zest. I, I think that's such an important part of cooking. And the last couple of years has just made me feel that even more. So you just mentioned that uh, the food landscape has changed. What does that mean? I think we've all become much more conscious of what we are putting in our bodies. I think we, we, we've become more conscious of kind of provenance. I, I don't mean everyone. I mean, lots of people have become more aware of where their food comes from, of, you know, the fact that eating well, eating more vegetables, eating more kind of, you know, vibrant, exciting, delicious, but nutrient dense food is really important. I also think that, you know, that the landscape around kind of eating consciously, you know, and, and the effect that our diet and the way we cook has on the world around us has, has has completely shifted. I mean, there were definitely people talking about it 10 years ago. There were people probably talking about it 20 or 30 years ago. But in the last couple of years, particularly, I think this impact of what we and, and, and this kind of personal responsibility that we have to, you know, make sure that we are leaving the planet not so much worse off than, than how we found it. And I think food is a really exciting part of that, because in order to eat in a conscious way, you you know, we don't have to be eating sort of, you know, worthy, boring, unexciting food. There is a way of eating delicious, vibrant, amazing food, but also food that is kind of conscious, that has a light footprint. And that's really what, what this book is all about. I love this line in the cookbook. You wrote, 
We need to bring some connection and kindness back to the way we support our farmers and those who grow and harvest our food. Let's put kindness and joy at the heart of how we cook and eat. I've heard you talk about the delicacy of the food chain, and you just mentioned how you had a hard time finding flour during the pandemic lockdown, and that really encouraged you to think about the humans. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have become quite disconnected with where our food comes from. And I think, you know, there have been steps made back in in a positive direction in recent years. You know, the food chain is such a kind of clinical way of describing how the food that nourishes us comes from the farmer to our plates. And actually, I like to think about it as a kind of chain of humans bringing that nourishment to me and to my family. Farming is not an easy job, especially in the last couple of years, and especially with all the challenges you know with climate that are happening and you know the kind of love and attention of that farmer even you know the 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 person who's transporting the food from the farm to the store these are all humans and I think when we humanize that kind of chain I think it becomes more difficult for us to kind of waste food or throw food in the bin because it's the people and and you know I think the more we can connect with that you value it more and you're less likely to kind of throw it away and more likely to support that farmer who is perhaps growing their food in a more sustainable way. You're so right. The food chain is so clinical. Like you kind of think about it as like a book in school and you just see like a picture of the farmer and then a picture of the piece of corn. And I think for so long, we just thought about it as kind of like a flow chart. You're, you're right. And it's, you know, I, I, I think quite often food is presented in school in those kind of diagrams. I don't know if you have um, in the US that food pyramid, which has kind of, you know, yes. the protein at the top and then the carbohydrates and then the vegetables down the bottom. And to me, there's a reason why no one remembers that food pyramid, because it's not exciting. It's not real. It's not tactile. It's not, you know, it's not it's not any of the things that food is to me that is connective and joyful. And, you know, food's really the great connector. It's the one thing that all of us, you know, hopefully do three times a day. And so boiling food down to those kind of diagrams and flowcharts just makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, when I'm kind of talking to kids about food or to my son about food, he needs to feel, he needs to touch, he needs to understand, you know, that the broccoli might make his his arms strong or, you know, that the carbohydrates might help him run a bit faster. So I really think that when food is presented like that, it kind of takes the joy away and and and, the, and joy is really the overriding emotion I, I feel about food and I feel about how it connects us. So in the cookbook and what we've been talking about is where the food comes from. And then you go, one step further about how it moves through our kitchen. It's so interesting. Can you describe that? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think when I was researching this book, obviously, primarily, it's a recipe book, and it's filled with all the recipes and things that I I love to cook. But, you know, the second kind of dimension to this book is is thinking about how it impacts the world around us. And when I started looking into that, one part of the puzzle that has kind of been largely ignored is, is the amount of energy we use when we cook. And I think lots of chefs and cookbooks, and myself included in that at times, you know, can encourage you to turn on two gas hobs and an oven and perhaps this food processor and then sometimes a grill just to make one dish. I hadn't really considered how much energy that was actually using. So by kind of grouping the recipes in this book around kind of things that you can do in one pot or one pan or just one tray, like a tray bake that goes in the oven, I'm hopefully helping 
to reduce, first of all, the kind of human effort, the amount of washing up you have to do, which also has an environmental impact, but also, you know, reducing the amount of energy we use. And, you know, it doesn't sound that sexy. I'm, I, you know, I, I can completely appreciate that. But if we're all trying to make an effort to kind of shop carefully and reduce, you know, our impact in other ways, then I think this is a really important piece of the puzzle here and in the US. About a third of our energy is used in the kitchen. So it's a really big thing. And I think quite often the sustainability conversation, you know, can require you to go to kind of like a, a bougie farmer's market or biodynamic produce, which actually does cut a lot of people out of the conversation. But this bit where you're saving energy actually is useful for every single household. It's saving everyone money and it's a really important part of the discussion. How is this cookbook organized? It's organized by the vessel or the thing that you cook in. So by things that go in one pot. So that's just one pot on the stove. Everything kind of goes in it. I might add onions first and then garlic and then, you know, and then build up the flavor in that pot. But essentially you will be cooking in one pot. One pan are things that are cooked in kind of one frying pan, one skillet. Quite often, you know, they start sometimes on the hob and go in the oven or just go in the oven. And then one tray. So tray bakes, also tray bake cakes and sweets. Um, And then there's a chapter on kind of really, really quick cooking. So, you know, that stuff that comes together in under 20 minutes. And I organized it like that because I feel like sometimes, you know, when I come in from work, obviously I'm a professional cook and 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 chef but you know I think when I come back home and want to cook something for my son I cook under the same constraints as anyone else so I just want you know something easy that I can you know put in the oven and forget about and so that's why I organized it that way and I would say 90% of the recipes in here are savory so it's a lot of kind of you know lunches and dinners I love your one vegetable chapter because So often I want to make broccoli, squash, peas, potatoes, and I can't think of any interesting variations. So you have 10 ideas for so many of our everyday go-to vegetables. Can you talk a little bit about that chapter? That kind of really sort of links in with what I, I, I was talking about, about, you know, this kind of flexible cooking, this kind of, you know, using a recipe as a jumping off point. And it also works with, with reducing waste in your kitchen as well, because quite often there'll be a bit of broccoli at the end or a few tomatoes and it might not be enough to make the tomato recipe that you love to make but you want to use those up so I think having these kind of really flexible ideas is actually really um, useful so I looked at what are the kind of top 10 vegetables both here and in the US and I wrote 10 very fluid recipes for all of those vegetables and it's actually been the part of the book that I think people seem to be referring to most because I I think it is just a really good jumping off point you know you can cook these recipes for one person you can cook them for eight people and I think the format of the recipe because it's not a full recipe on a page with an ingredients list is a bit more fluid and I think encourages people to kind of you know feel a bit more relaxed and perhaps creative around around how they cook. I adore that you love peas. I do too. And so many people don't and I don't get it. No, I absolutely love peas. I just think they are, especially at this time of year, sort of through the winter, they are just an absolute staple in our house because there aren't as many kind of fresh green things around. So I really, really lean on them for that kind of fresh springy flavour. You know, they're so adaptable. In this book, I've got, you know, a salad that I make with them. You can make with fresh peas in the summer, sure, or in the spring, but you can equally use frozen peas. It uses kind of dates, which I fry 
dry until they go kind of chewy and sticky and lemon and then a base of ricotta and it's it's really surprising but the bulk of it is you know the humble frozen pea and I think you know I make soups with it I think peas can go in so many directions this week I'm gonna make your peas salted lemon sticky dates that you just kind of alluded to on page 184 and I cannot wait to make it it sounds so different and interesting It's a recipe I really, really love, actually. And it's one of the recipes that I think a lot of people have said to me that has really surprised them. It's one of those recipes where the ingredients end up being more than a sum of their parts. And those are the recipes I love the most, where the process is fairly simple. The ingredients are great quality, but also fairly simple and fairly affordable. But when you eat it, you're like, hold on a second. And I think the real, you know, the thing that really sort of sets that recipe apart, first of all, it's the lemons, which are salted and, you know, bring kind of a real zing it's not too zesty but it kind of sits against the ricotta and the peas really beautifully but it's the dates which I think really really make it sing because I I fry those until they are kind of crisp and chewy on the outside so you've got that gorgeous kind of medjool date kind of um, almost fudginess on the inside on the outside the sugars caramelize and you know you get this wonderful kind of intense chewy texture and that next to the sort of really clean freshness of the ricotta the sweetness of the peas and the lemon it's a dish I make all year and um yeah and also that technique with date sort of stolen from that recipe and I use all over the place now so Jamie Oliver was a huge influence on you when did you start working with him and what would you say was your biggest takeaway Oh, well, I, I started working with Jamie a long time ago now. It's nearly 20 years. It's not far off 20 years ago I started working for him. And it, it's miraculous to think that it's it's been that long. But I, I worked with him for seven years and it was a roller coaster of fun and craziness. And it was at the point where he just started to campaign about school dinners here in the UK. And, you know, I think he was on his sort of third or fourth book. So it was really at a moment where he was sort of in his ascent. So it was just a wonderful time to work with him, to learn about how he did things, about cookbooks, about recipe writing. I think my main takeaway, and there were many actually from working with Jamie, was his real belief that food can be used as a force for good, as a force for change. And I'm all about food just being the simple thing it is quite often, you know, just a lovely recipe that you're cooking for your family or a pizza on a Friday night and a beer with friends. I don't think it always has to be this thing, but I often think that there's more complex issues like you know like climate like the environment like migration um like race and gender that actually really everything is in the conversation of food food encompasses everything because it encompasses our heritage it encompasses our families it, it's so connected to our emotions and i think jamie really taught me that food is sometimes a really great way of having those conversations with people in a gentler and and more open way than it would be if you just sort of bowled into talking about a subject and you know obviously the work that he's done has promoted great change you know here and and across the world actually but yeah I think I think that was really the sort of core belief that he has and 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 definitely translated to me and has has informed all the work that I've done since. The other night I made your recipe on page 171 for broccoli and toast and I love this because I can honestly say 
I've had enough of avocado toast. So tell the story about how this recipe came to you when you were visiting your sister in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, a lot of my food inspiration has come from my trips to LA and California and all over the US, I have to say. And I I, I usually spend a few weeks a year going to visit my sister in LA. And we went to a really lovely restaurant called Kismet, which I'm sure um, lots of your listeners will know. And they made a kind of broccoli, uh, tahini sort of toast situation there, which I really, really loved. And um, it just felt so simple and easy. And toast is a great vehicle for more exciting stuff. And that's why I got really excited about this broccoli. You know, we've hit peak avocado on toast, haven't we? Um, (laughs) And actually, if you live here in the UK, avocados are not grown locally. We get a few from Italy at a specific time of the year, but they're not the most sustainable thing for us to eat. So this was my way of kind of translating that dish, which I loved, which is, you know, tahini, seeds, charred broccoli on a charred piece of of sourdough or whatever bread you have around it would also be great on a charred flatbread but that was my kind of way of sort of you know encouraging people to have perhaps you know experiment with putting some other vegetables on toast and here's the uh fig again i made your fig and halva sunday on page 210 i adore sundays and have never <laughs> thought about combining fig and ice cream you say the magic of this Sunday never gets old. I love Sundays. I'm not someone that spends, you know, a huge amount of time making kind of fancy desserts. So for me, Sundays feel like a really fun way of having dessert. If I have people around quite often, I'll just buy good ice cream and and make something like this. So, you know, this Sunday, you know, uses lovely figs, halva, which is like a sort of, uh, I'm sure lots of your listeners will be familiar with it, but if not, it's like a delicious um, sesame seed kind of almost crumbly brick. It's a bit like fudge but it's crumblier and um you know any kind of you know middle east and delhi you know you'll be able to buy it there and it's just got this sweetness from the honey but a real kind of interesting rounded flavor from the sesame that's got the same kind of feeling as tahini and layering that up with kind of vanilla ice cream and with figs it's a dessert that takes literally about three minutes to put together but it feels decadent it feels grown up it feels you know it feels like the kind of thing that you'd be really proud to put on a table if you had people around there's just something really joyful and fun about a Sunday and childlike and carefree and and I love it. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. You know what I think I would love would be to sit down with my paternal grandma. We used to call her ma'am. You know, she was from Wales and um, she had 12 children. So my dad is number nine of 12. I have one son and all the way through my kind of parenting journey, I just cannot believe or cannot fathom what it must be like to have 12 children. And she was just a wonderful kind of matriarch of the family. She was an incredible cook. She kind of cooked individual dinners for the 12 kids, meeting all of their different palates and needs and she was just constantly in the kitchen and and sadly she passed away you know when I was about seven so before I really managed to sort of get into the kitchen and stand by her side and see her peeling peeling five kilos of potatoes and I would just love to connect with her and talk to her about how it was to be a mother to so many children and and just learn a bit more about her and learn you know some of her recipes so I think that would be it for me where can we find you on the web and social media 
I have a website which is annajones.co.uk and the best place to find me is on Instagram which is my handle is we underscore r underscore food not that catchy but there we go <laughs> if you search for Anna Jones on Instagram I'll pop up to purchase one pot pan planet and support the podcast head on over to cookerybythebook.com and thank you so much Anna for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast oh, what a pleasure thank you so much Susie Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.